Therefore, prepare, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tested that the Lord is good. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you have uh, revealed yourself to us in uh, Jesus Christ. We thank you that what the prophets uh, spoke about and longed to see but were uh, unable to, to know how it would be fulfilled, has indeed been uh, revealed to us in uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Father, we pray that as we look at your word that we would be helped to, uh, to think through how that the resurrection of Jesus and how he's coming again impacts the way that we live our lives now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our daughter Alyssa has uh, just uh, graduated out of uh, student accommodation, hasn't graduated from uni yet, but uh, moved out of student accommodation and is striking out uh, in terms of the housing market and has uh, rented a house in Leichhardt with a couple of uh, Christian girls. We were down in Sydney a few weeks back just to help with that transition and Alyssa and I, the, the girls have been gathering up uh, used furniture from the sides of roads, from gum tree and, and so on. And that's where Dad's come in handy because uh, I went with Alyssa to the home of someone whom we had never met who had advertised on gum tree with her husband uh, a lovely uh, colonial-style uh, kitchen uh, cabinet and, and wall unit and it was going for free. So Alyssa said, come on, Dad, <clears throat> that's what you're here for. 
let's head around there and pick it up. It was only a couple of blocks away. When we arrived and finally found parking, um, there was something about this lady that was quite striking. Uh, she, was, she was really warm and she had a, a quiet, um, I'd say a, a joy about her. Uh, she welcomed us into her home. She helped us to move the cabinet. And I think it was because she was so engaging and encouraging towards Alyssa. She wanted to find out about Alyssa and talk about uni and moving into a new place and the area and all that sort of stuff. As we drove back to uh, Alyssa's new little terrace, I commented and said to her that that lady is actually the kind of lady that I normally expect to meet in a church. Now, of course, uh, we meet very loving people who are not Christians. We meet loving people in all many areas of life. And sometimes uh, we may even meet people in church who, who lack love. But Alyssa's response to me was interesting because she said to me, you know what, Dad, or Papa, as she calls me, uh, she says, I was thinking exactly the same thing. And then she recounted for me a very different, a completely opposite experience that she'd had a few days earlier when she went to another house for the same reason. Genuine love is not only seen in our deepest relationships, such as the relationship between a husband and wife, um, children and parents and so on, but also in the, the myriad of connections that we have with people on an everyday basis, uh, even with complete strangers. But love doesn't always come naturally. I find it easier to love people who love me. I find it easier to love people who are lovable. But it's much harder to love those uh, with whom we disagree uh, it's harder to love those with whom we may believe have wronged us. And sometimes it's, we just find it hard to love people who are kind of not our kind of people. And that's something which represents a, an interesting opportunity for us as Christians because uh, even within the church, uh, God's church is made up of all sorts of different kinds of people, um, different races, different occupations, different um, stages of life, different ages. Uh, people who sometimes we wouldn't actually naturally connect with um, outside of church, but who are now united as one people in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus once said that there is a way that people would know that we are his disciples. You know what that way was, don't you? They will know that you are my disciples by your Love one for the other. Uh, love. Love is to be the defining characteristic of God's people. And that's going to involve change, isn't it? Um, because when you think about um, Peter's original readers, and we talked about them last week, they were a, a very divergent group of people, most of whom were Gentiles, but some probably Jews, they lived in, uh, a, uh, across a vast area of Turkey, um, or Asia Minor as it was called then, 
people from different races, different languages, different religious backgrounds, different political histories, and so on and so forth. And people who wouldn't, non, wouldn't naturally connect with one another are now being called upon to love one another. And so they're going to have to make changes. Uh, what kind of changes would Peter's first readers need to make? And more importantly, um, what kind of changes do you and I need to make uh, in our lives? Well, uh, if you open up at 1 Peter chapter 1, the, the first thing which needs to change is our minds. Now, let me read to you a few verses, starting at verse 13, uh, where Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, what we see here is that we actually have knowledge. Uh, we have uh, knowledge of um, the grace which has been given to us and which will be fully revealed um, when Jesus Christ is revealed, when Jesus returns again. That is knowledge. That is knowledge which actually, uh, knowledge of our world, knowledge of the future, that actually shapes the way that we live now. Um, some people think that being a Christian um, means that you've got to, you know, have a lobotomy or you've got to disengage your brain somehow because you're obviously not a rational person. You're just running on um, feelings and emotions and so on. But as we live uh, amongst people who do not share our understanding of the world, our minds are very, very important uh, Peter says here that uh, we are to prepare our minds for action, be self-controlled. Now, uh, the original that Peter used there is actually a bit more colourful than our English word for our English phrase for prepare your minds for action. Um, literally, uh, what Peter says here is um, Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, remember, you know, first century men did not wear shirts and trousers, did they? Um, they, wore, they wore these long robes. And if you wanted to be prepared for action, if you wanted to be prepared to have to run somewhere, what did you have to do with your robe? Well, you've got to kind of bend down and gather it all up and tuck it in amongst, you know, under your belt, that's girding up your loins. Well, that's what Paul, Peter is saying here. He's saying that you need to, uh, uh, to gird up the, you know, the, the, your, your loins um, for action. I guess we would use a, a different metaphor. We might say roll up your sleeves. That's what you do, isn't it? If you're going to be prepared for some hard work, you've got to roll up your sleeves. So Peter is saying... Roll up your sleeves, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Don't be drowsy. Don't be caught off guard. Get your mind into gear. 
And we need to do this because uh, many people live uh, as if this material life, this material world, is ultimate reality. Um, that they live for the things which they can see and, and touch and, and own. And some of us used to be like that. Before I was a Christian, that is exactly how I was. You're just living for this, this life and this life alone. And because we're living amongst people who have a materialistic worldview, then we find ourselves being pulled. We can be lulled back into, if not believing that worldview, certainly living as if we believe that worldview. And so roll up the sleeves of your mind. Engage your brain in the knowledge that we have. That is, we know that uh, this life is not all that there is. We know that all of history is all heading to a particular point in time, a particular day, when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed. And every eye shall see, every knee shall bow. Uh, when Jesus returns again. And the fullness of God's grace, that is, our heavenly inheritance, will be ours. And so therefore, as we negotiate life, we must refuse to allow our minds to be distracted from that hope. It is that future hope that shapes the way that we should be living now. And that includes in our relationships with other people. Now, in verse 14, the opposite of knowledge is ignorance. Imagine that you had no knowledge of God. And you had no knowledge at all of uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What sort of a person would you be? Where would you be in life at the moment? How would you be living that's a hard question to answer in some ways because the idea of having absolutely no knowledge of God, well, it depends that we are influenced by our upbringing and the fact that Christian values have infused our culture for 2,000 years makes it difficult to imagine what we would be like if we had no knowledge of God whatsoever. But when we are ignorant of God and of his grace we have a tendency to, to put ourselves at the centre uh, of our universe. And we are far more open to um, uh, advancing our own interests and gratifying our own desires at the expense of other people. Um, I was like that before I became a Christian. I didn't have any problems about lying, uh, if that was going to get what I uh, wanted and so on and it's the opposite of love isn't it and so Peter reminds us in verse 15 that in everything that we do we should now be holy now hope to be holy it, do it doesn't mean you know you live with a halo around your head or you've got your face in a stained glass window somewhere um, to be holy means to be set, up, set apart, to be different from the world around us, to be different from what we once were. And why should we be holy? 
Well, it's because God is holy and we are now his children. And so instead of being conformed to the evil desires of ignorance, we are now to be conformed to the likeness of our Father. And that leads to changed lives. Pick it up at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Last times, by the way, is from the, when Jesus came until he comes again. We are living in the last times now. Through him, continues Peter, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now, there is a, a lot which is packed into those verses. Let me just make a few brief points. Um, first of all, um, we're reminded that we call God our Father. Did you see that? Uh, but the fact that God is our Father, that's not a license for us to, to sin. That doesn't mean we can say, well, I'm now connected with God. He's my Heavenly Father. He loves me so much that therefore it doesn't actually matter how much how I live because I just know that I'm going to be forgiven and I'll continue. No, he's not only our father, he's also our judge and he judges impartially. Um, and that's the point that uh, Peter makes here. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, uh, John says, Whoever does not love does not know God. Because guess what? God is love. Right? So if you're connected with God, if God is your heavenly father then you're going to want to love and it's not going, you're not going to presume upon his grace. The second reason we should change is because not only is, our, is God our Father and our, and our Judge, but God is also our Redeemer. Now, in the ancient world, slavery was common, um, but it was different to the kind of slavery that, uh, for example, um, was in, 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 in the Americas, uh, where African slaves were slaves for life with no hope of ever not being slaves. And their children would be slaves and their grandchildren would be slaves. In the first century, slaves could be redeemed. That is, someone who loved a slave could, could buy them out of slavery. All you've got to do is hand over the appropriate amount of silver or gold. But there is a kind of slavery which no one can ever buy their way out of because no amount of money would be enough. In verse 18, Peter identifies this slavery as, and I quote, the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers. Uh, a life where instead of worshipping our creator, uh, we worship that which he has created, the creation. And we seek to find our value and our, and our life meaning and purpose and our, and our fulfilment in, 
in things which we think that we control, but in fact, they really control us. For we live our lives for them and we are enslaved by them. The Bible speaks about us being enslaved to our sinful nature, gratifying the desires of our sinful flesh and headed for a godless eternity. But what we see here is that the, the resurrection of Jesus has shown that his sacrifice uh, was so immensely valuable that it's far more precious than silver or gold and that through his sacrifice that our price has been paid. And that, therefore, is a great reason for us to want to change the way that we live, to change our hearts. Now, by the way, before um, Peter's readers were converted, as mostly pagans, they would have not had a concept of God like the concept of God that, that we have, as God being a, a creator and a separate creation and God being all-powerful and so on. Uh, they worshipped a multiplicity of different uh, Greek and Roman gods which they had statues that they bowed down and worshipped. But in verse 21... The issue here is how did they actually come to believe in the true God? And they came to believe in the true God through hearing about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was not sort of like the end point of the uh, sharing of the good news. Jesus was the, the beginning point. Um, they were told about this man who had uh, done these great miracles, the way he lived his life, his death on the cross and the fact that he had been raised from the dead and had gone to be with the Father in glory. It's that the death and the resurrection of Jesus uh, is the starting point. When I'm talking to non-Christians, <clears throat> and sometimes people from a very, very different worldview, I have found that um, we, we can talk uh, a fair bit about creationism and so on, but... Ultimately, it's when they understand the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who Jesus is, and I get them to read through a gospel, that a lot of other truths about God tend to fall into place a lot more naturally. And of course, the Holy Spirit has a bit to do with that as well, doesn't he? Because in verses 22 to 25, the gospel is not a dead word. It's a living word. It's not like um, perishable seed which falls to the ground and then dies. It, it sinks roots, it grows, it produces fruit. And Peter, here quoting from Isaiah, makes the point that it's fruit that actually lasts forever. Have a look at verse 24. He says, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. So there is some growth there, but the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But guess what? The word of the Lord stands forever. It is a living word. It is an ongoing word. And it continues to produce fruit. So that Peter can say that by obeying the truth, in verse 22, that there's change. We now have sincere love for one another. Um, 
More literally, uh, what he said there here is that we now have unhypocritical brotherly love. I like that word brotherly love. Here's a Greek word that you can remember. It's the word brotherly love is Philadelphia. How about that, eh? We're not talking about a cream cheese. We're not talking about a city in America. I tell you what, you walk around the streets of Philadelphia late at night, you're not going to see much brotherly love. (coughs) But it's brotherly love. Brotherly love. And he says, therefore, love one another deeply, not hypocritically, but rather from the heart. From the heart. Uh, The word love which Peter uses... um, means love which is demonstrated by actions. It's a very practical, self-giving love where we, where, we, where we do that which is for the benefit of other people. A bit like Jesus on the cross, isn't it? That kind of self-giving, sacrificial love, which doesn't come naturally because the inclination of our hearts is towards ourselves. And that's why in um, chapter 2, verse 1, Peter now kind of spells it out. He gets down to some some realities of some uh, common character traits which are, are the opposite of love. Let's have a look at that. Verse 1. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. This is where the rubber hits the road. This, these are things which we must expunge from our lives, get rid of. Let's go through them. Um, malice uh, is a, a very general term for all kinds of um, wrongful behaviour towards another person. And uh, these sins get more specific as you go down the list. Uh, like deceit. Um, the word which Peter uses for deceit means bait. I think that's a very apt word because what do we use bait for? Well, if you go down to the river, <clears throat> bait to a fish looks like dinner, but it's actually death. Uh, bait, it, it means deceit. We, uh, and when we deceive people by... Uh, telling lies or misrepresenting the truth. Uh, We do so for their loss and for our benefit. And so it is intrinsically selfish and it is the exact opposite of the love of Christ who did not come in order to be served but rather to to serve uh, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter goes on to say that we are to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. Another interesting word, uh, hypocrisy, the, the hypocrite, the word hypocrite comes from the, the world of Greek theatre. Uh, it, it's an actor, a, a play actor. In Greek theatre, what do they wear on their faces? They wear masks. And so it's therefore quite apt because what does a hypocrite in our context wear? They wear a a mask uh, to hide the real person, to present a picture which is actually not really them. And so as hypocrites, we might 
we might criticise other people for doing something which we secretly do ourselves. Uh, imposing a higher standard on others than we, in fact, are prepared to submit to. Or we teach one thing and yet privately we do another, which can do great harm, great harm to people, especially when the hypocrite is a parent or a pastor. The gospel of God's forgiving love means that we don't need to wear a mask as if we need to somehow hide from one another. The gospel is about forgiveness and about grace, authenticity. Well, Peter's next word is the word envy. And sometimes, I you know, um, we can sometimes use the word envy in a positive, even a loving sense. You know, I, I envy you because of uh, the great talents that you've got. It's not meant to be selfish. It's, it's actually meant to be encouraging. But the sin of envy involves holding a grudge against another person who possesses something which we desire but which we do not have. And so we don't like the person. We bear a grudge against them. We act in a way which is not towards their benefit. Even worse, even worse is when our desire to possess that thing which they have is actually less than our desire that they should be deprived of it. That's the exact opposite of love. And finally, Peter says that we are to rid ourselves of slander. Now, slander, of course, is often connected with gossip, which is malice through words. Um, damaging someone's reputation by the use of our tongue. And when gossip uh, is then uh, accompanied with falsehood, with deceit, then it becomes slander. We're actually damaging someone's reputation with something which is not even true. It's made up. There are... Um, a number of uh, types of sin which destroy fellowship in God's church um, more so than others. Um, false teaching, uh, immorality, greed. But uh, up there at the, you know, in the uh, upper parts of that list uh, is gossip and slander. Because gossip and slander, they, they drive a wedge between people. They drive a wedge between brothers and sisters who otherwise might actually really love one another um, because they then cause suspicion, um, ill feeling and ultimately separation of relationship, um, division. And that is the opposite of love. For some people that's chronic. It's the, it's the way that they do life. It's the way that they've always done life. Um, the good news is that the gospel has got the power to change that. The gospel has the power to bring deep repentance and change when we're prepared to submit to Christ as our Lord. And for many of us, we will, you know, when you look through that list, you think to yourself, oh, okay, there's from time to time... Um, 
I've done that. I've behaved in one of these ways or I've been unloving uh, to other people in other ways. Well, it's interesting to note that um, even Peter in Galatians chapter 2 was a hypocrite. Um, uh, It was Paul who called Peter out and accused him of hypocrisy. And the issue was that although Peter preached that uh, Jews and Gentiles are all one in Christ, that when he was with some Gentiles and fellowshipping with them, but then some Jewish believers came along, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles because he didn't want to cause offence to these Jews. And Paul called him out on that and said, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You're preaching that we're all one in Christ, but your actions are saying something very different, and that's really unloving to these Gentile Christians. Well, the good news is there is forgiveness and there is change. And uh, when we read what Peter says here, we know he's a guy who's actually had to deal with that sort of thing himself. When it comes to loving one another, uh, we're all a work in progress. We are all still growing. And I guess the question then is, how therefore do we grow? If you ask me, how do you grow a child? The answer to that question is, you feed the child, don't you? And little infants, they love to guzzle down that milk. Some people ask me, how do you grow a church? I say, well, number one thing is you feed the church um, by God's word. And if we're going to gird up the loins of our minds, then what we need to be doing here is feeding our minds. Have a look at verse 2. In verse 2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Literally, that's uh, the milk of the word. So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. And, you know, I, I guess it comes down to some basic stuff here. Like, why not read your Bible on a daily basis? Even if it's just a, a small passage of Scripture. Um, listen to sermons every Sunday. Whenever you shape your life around being in church on Sunday, don't shape um, being in church on Sunday around your life. Uh, join a church growth group. And I know that these things can sound like a cliche, like how do you finish off a sermon? Well, read your Bible more, come to church and go to a growth group. But these are not cliches. These are right. These are true. These are ways, the means of, that God has given us that we can actually be feeding ourselves and encouraging one another uh, in pure spiritual milk. Because the, the, the milk of God's word in our minds changes our hearts so that we may better know uh, our heavenly inheritance so that we may better know how it is that we ought to be loving one another and so that we can be encouraging each other to do so even more. Well, uh, Alyssa and myself had a productive time down in Sydney and in fact... Uh, we had to go back to that house 
another time because my little Mazda 6 cannot fit an entire kitchen cabinet and cupboard in it. We had to get the screwdrivers out and pull it apart and take it into uh, loads, which was really good because when we went back, I just had to test my suspicions, didn't I? And uh, so I not so subtly dropped a comment about church and that was all that was needed because it turned out that indeed this lady was a very dear sister in Christ and we got to chat about that and chat, chat about our Christian walk and chat about church. Um, turns out that she actually goes to the branch church of the church that Alyssa goes to. They share minister <laughs> with one another, although they'd never met each other. May our love for one another, may our love for uh, even complete strangers be so evident that people might say, I wonder if that person's a Christian. I wonder if they know the love of God. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your amazing, self-giving love in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for the, the heavenly hope that we have. May that hope shape our attitudes and our values and our relationships now. Father, we know that we are all a product of our background and our society and culture and that there are elements of the, um, uh, the, the, the vain way of life uh, that are still within us. And so we pray that you would help us to think through how we're living how our, uh, and our attitudes towards ourselves and people and that we would indeed um, be able to rid ourselves of um, deceit and malice, hypocrisy, envy and slander and all of those traits that we've become accustomed to that are actually really unloving towards other people and do not reflect your holiness in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.